and we're live. Welcome back. I know. Happy purging, everyone. Happy purging. How's it going? Um, You know, today is a day where if there was a state-sanctioned purge, I might be participating. Oh, John, I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's okay. We all have those days. We really do all have those days. Luckily, the government hasn't decided to, um, you know, totally take those days yet and, you know, capitalize on them. I know. It's just it's just a matter of time, though. So let's just let's just wait it out. That's right. Uh, welcome, everyone, to the Pop Culture Theologians. My name is Marcy, and my non-foul-mouthed friend here is John. Hello, John, everyone. who are we? What are we? Uh, we are the pop culture theologians. We're two sassy academics um, making our way through our love of pop culture by breaking down episodes through a theological and pop culture lens. And um, we are back with the show that started it all, The Purge, and we're covering season two. I love that you call me an academic still, even though my dissertation is perpetually on hold for right now. <laughs> I guess I guess I have a master's and I'm ABD as a I'm a PhD candidate, so I guess I am an academic. Uh, you are an academic because you've gotten to the point where a lot of people haven't even gotten to or stay on as well. Very few people, you know, it's a difficult world and it's a difficult. I will world. finish. I you will finish. I I'm believe ABD. in you. Someone, I'm ABD. That's all that matters. I've proved my worth. I haven't. I need to finish. Sorry, Dad, Mom. I need to finish. so yes we are two academic bitches covering pop culture uh the purge was our first show we're happy to have you uh back listening for the second episode of purge season two episode is called everything is fine which is how i model to my life yeah i was like that's how i describe my entire life right do you remember you weren't well you grew up in the midwest like that super cheesy saying, fine, fine actually means feelings inside not expressed. Mm-hmm. Or it's like my favorite meme where it's like that guy like sitting at the table and everything's on fire around him. Yes, exactly. So, um, so I appreciate the title of this week's episode. Um, John, why don't we just get to the what the fucks of the week? Because it has, it has been a week. Today's Thursday, which is what I like to call Baby Friday. So mm-hmm. let's just, we still have one more day left of this god awful week but it's been on fire and why don't, why don't we break it down um let's break it down what the um, fuck so happened so marcy a lot of shit happened this week so um you're gonna have to help me out though because i have no idea what the doral gate is you're so cute doral doral gate <laughs> doral gate happened i i honestly thought it was like three weeks ago which is how long days are in 2019 uh, Donald Trump had said that he would be holding the G7 at Oh, now I know. <laughs> now you You're know. from Florida, though, so I'm that's from Miami, why you got that. So, yeah, I'm not from Miami. I'm a Californian, hence the vocal fry, but um, I am right now displaced in Miami. Um, but he had said that he, they, had, <laughs> they had looked at 11 sites, and the most um, worthy of ho- hosting the next G7 was here in Miami in Doral. And so um, this is illegal. I mean, it's unconstitutional. It's illegal. Uh, he cannot benefit from, uh, from his political shenanigans, like as a, as a private citizen. And that's kind of, I, I'm, I'm going to say like, maybe something that's a bit unpopular, but like, I didn't give a shit. And I think like a, a big reason for this is 
We have concentration camps going on. We have LGBT rights being rolled back. We have reproductive rights being rolled back. Um, we are ignoring genocide in China. Uh, the Bahamas is still completely destroyed. Puerto Rico is destroyed. So when everyone was up in arms and was like, this is what's going to finally bring him down. I'm like, okay, okay. So like, it's the crooked part, like the crook. Cause like, for me, it's like, the children war criminal part you know the war criminal part and all ethnic of that cleansing part that's Thank not you. gonna do yeah it. and so while i completely understand that it is unfathomable that any other president would ever even try this bullshit like i don't know what what video reel everyone's watching i'm like we have concentration camps right now what makes you think he doesn't want to steal a couple dollars like this man has no moral compass as a person who lives in miami it was even more horrifying, because let me describe Doral for you. And for any listeners who are from Doral, I'm real sorry. I'm sure you're lovely, but you live on a fucking trash heap. Like, Doral is literally built on top of like, some of our garbage hills in Florida. It is the stinkiest city, and the Doral club uh, establishment that Trump owns has bed bugs not exaggerating is so gnarly it's like it looks like an old like marriott suites i love marriott i love my bond boy points but it looks like a really really old like spring it's just gross it's like the amount of money that they would need to update it to get it to a place where it would one be safe and healthy enough to hold people but like the world's leaders like to me it was like obviously that's how you steal the money like because then you have to bring it up to snuff so he gets to invest government dollars to bring up his shitty doral golf course shit place into a place that can hold world leaders and like i was talking to my brother who went to the school of foreign service he actually got into the foreign service and then very valiantly turned it down because trump became president and um hashtag my brother is amazing uh, my brother was like, and I were talking about like, what yes, he is. Fuck you, you fuck you. You couldn't help yourself. Oh, <laughs> um, sorry guys. Like, <laughs> sorry JP, if you're listening. <laughs> I'm not. Hi JP. <laughs> but like, what it would take to house the leaders of the G7, like, it's that it's a type of security. It's a type of like. There's a reason these like summits are. I, I do meeting planning and philanthropy and like. I can't, I can't even imagine. So, yep. Doral Gate this week was just kind of like, and then two, like two days later, he pulled out and like gave a really nonsensical, like Democrats are, are crap and like wanted me to pull out and I'm just not going to put up with it or something like that. And like, because I think he realized it is unconstitutional, which I just want to, again, note our concentration camps are not unconstitutional, but stealing a couple bucks is. So that's the state of 2019. So what else happened this fucking week? A bunch of white, impotent men in the Republican Party tried to storm the skiff in the House of Representatives and interrupt impeachment hearings, led by that, like, Matt Gates or whatever his name yeah. is. Like, I, I never know what his face looks like because I'm sure he just has a torso pick on his grinder profile. They all basically tried, they all tried to witness tamper, stop it's, uh, it's official proceedings. Illegal. It's entirely illegal. And they were all white and um, they're pathetic, impotent little men. I think that's how we can summarize that story. I think so too. I do want to say like, while I, while I love belittling a white man, um, 
and again for anyone listening who's like what the fuck is wrong with you i'm like i'm married to a white dude okay like it's it like if i'm not talking about you i'm not talking about you so yes i love belittling impotent white men but i do want to stress this is this is an extremely illegal action it is unthinkable again that's that like they would do this it is a violation of our like national security they went in with iphones like with on iphones twitter. Re- on twitter live recording like a full breach of national sh- security so like while while i want to be like oh my god look at these old white dudes being like no uh nancy pelosi isn't here so let's just get in there this is like extremely extremely unthinkable like uh, it, it again like there's no there's no bottom to where like there's no bottom to any of this well, but there are a bunch of bottoms there are a bunch but... i was about to say if you're a bottom and you're listening raise your hand but like it's just it's really crazy so yeah a, a totally unprecedented moment in american history and we i keep saying that because we keep living through them and like i keep thinking of like one of my history teachers in high school who was like you don't know you're living in in his like a historical moment until it's passed and i'm like how wrong you were mr sando because i am a hundred percent cognizant that we are living through what is going to be some of the most active chapters if we survive as a species on american history in a hundred years so mm-hmm. uh very interesting the final thing that happened this week was i guess new mexico went back to being part of mexico because colorado became a border state I've always thought of Colorado as a border state. <laughs> Same here. Every time I hear Colorado, I think tacos. And then, yeah, that's just yeah. Where, where it goes. I, I mean, I, there's nothing to say other than like every day. It's like, what the fuck? Every day. And then I saw a stat today that said 99% of white evangelicals do not support impeachment. 99%. And I'm like... <laughs> Granted, 99% of them did get taught creationism, so... I would hate creationism if my God created Trump. Like, if there is ever evidence that God may not be a kind God and maybe has, like, a really weird, like, sense of, like, fuck you humans, Trump becoming president is right up there. So, yeah. Fuck you, (laughs) humanity. Yeah, but um, hello to anyone listening in Colorado. Uh, Can't wait to see what the prices are to fly from Denver to mexico city but the denver airports like got all this bad juju and stuff like you've known about all that stuff right no oh i will send you articles (gasps) it's like supposedly haunted in like a fallout shelter you know that's my shit i've I've been to a lot of haunted shit never a haunted airport oh yeah exciting so before we jump in to this episode our last little part is our purge of the week john our purge of the week yes myself i'd like to take myself out this today is a day where i um so john i think it's time for our purge of the week oh yeah right so i'm gonna take myself out this week i just want to don't go no no who's your purge of the week um definitely all those impotent little white men that tried to um, storm the skiff that's a good one that's a very good one it's like a collective purge yeah i'm i i I can i can deal with that um oh this is a good moment to to bring this up my purge of the week is the actor 
who plays the mummy in the monster's house at Halloween Horror Nights. Oh, no. <laughs> because that motherfucker scared me so bad, I lost feeling and the capability to use my legs, and my friend had to drag me out of her room. So, Marcy, so- tell the listeners why you were there. I was there to scream. I went to, I go every year for my husband's birthday to Halloween Horror Nights. It was weird. There was no purge this year, which there's been purge since before I moved to Florida. So it was kind of weird to not have chainsaws everywhere and the masks. But, um, but I told John that like, I was very excited because I would just be able to turn corners and scream out my frustration. Like, like scream out. I hate my job. Like scream out. Like I hate Donald Trump and stuff. But, um, but you know, Every once in a while, you you turn a corner and someone literally scares the shit out of you. And it's never the big houses. It's never this year we had Ghostbusters. Um, there was an Us house, which was terrifying. The final room is just actors and mannequins that look like actors lined up with the scissors. And you don't know which ones are real and which ones are not. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just have to run and like pray to God that like you just make it past the like seven real humans in that room. Um, But to the actor playing the mummy in Orlando, you are one vindictive motherfucker because you got me in one corner and literally walked around to get me a second time. And um, I, I know now what it feels like to like, to like faint like a damsel in distress in like a a Victorian novel. Like my legs gave out and I literally couldn't move. Um, So it was great though. I did scream out a lot of my frustration. So good. Yes. It's a good year to go. I don't know what Los Angeles has, but um, the Florida one was one of my my best years. Y'all have the scare tram, which uh, they had a, a purge scare tram a couple years ago, which was great. I don't go to those things. I know there there's you're either the type of person there's never a middle ground person who's like I'll go once there's those of us that go every year like a pilgrimage to scream our heads off and like get the adrenaline rush of horror and then there's people who like I had a friend who said she was coming and literally for two months was sweating it and that night was like I she was like I can't go in so I don't think that I think there's just there's no middle ground on it. It's like you either love it or it is unthinkable to to spend an entire night, a very expensive night, by the way, Universal Studios, um, to be scared shitless. Oh, the one thing I did want to add, John, is the hillbilly sector this year included Russian um, go-go girls. And so I think that is a good reflection of where we are uh, in 2019. Me too. So. Let's talk about this episode. Everything is fine. So, I guess the whole point of the season is like cleanup, right? I love how they're starting these episodes. I don't know if it's going to be like a theme. I don't think it will be as like the show moves forward with like the actual storylines as we see in this episode as some things start coming together and people are getting connected but i kind of love the like inroads to like the purge universe like we saw how the narrator of the purge announcement really started right and then today we see a you know a cleaning service that goes to clean up people's purges and clearly that white rich woman killed paid someone to kill her husband and then zippy maids zippy maids yeah, I was um I was laughing because I, I we've we had talked about this in, in season one before we knew that they would be looking at the post purge world in season two, but we were like, who cleans this shit up? It's the zippy maids. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I did really like, it almost felt like a tableau. Um, the the image of the rich woman kind of um, after her house has been cleaned up and the flowers are put out, enjoying her very, she's wearing purge blue, right? Which um, we know the, the NFFA, court colors of the, uh, of the founding NFFA, fathers. Yeah, and the founding fathers. Um, but I did love the note of um, when she's sitting down for dinner with her kids after the Zippy Maids have left, there's just a splotch of blood on her, um, oh my God, this is why being bilingual is like um, a problem because I can't think of the word for that thing you put your plates on. <laughs> what, what is it? Bougie bouge. Uh, whatever it is. It's not a napkin, but it's what you put under your plate. Um, had like a tiny bit, uh, the mat had like a little bit of blood on it. And I think as we're watching it and as we're watching a post-purge world, like we, the viewers are supposed to write, like that is such a beautiful kind of snapshot image of like, you first off, like there's no erasing the purge. Like just because you clean it up, the effects of it are not gone. And so when I'm thinking of what they're trying to say from a sociological perspective is, you know, there's this tendency where our, and maybe this is some of the succession watching that I've got, but like the rich can erase most of the bad things that they do in this world. Right. Mm -hmm. And yet there's still evidence. Like we will find, we will find you like, (laughs) like we will find out, but also like, you just like, you, you just can't erase everything that you've done, but the rich have an easier ability to do it. Right. The poor just have to live with it. Um, so I'm thinking of you see that like in a hospital like I'm sure there's like a zippy maids but I'm sure there's also like um, like a like a at-home health service oh a hundred percent we'll we'll get into that so I think what they're trying to remind us which the first season did a very good job is that there are inequitable situations that are exasperated by the purge that put the purge at a different level than just a one night thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just that it's inequitable that one night, but so is the rest of the year leading up to the purge. Um, interesting thing that we talked about for season one, um, apparently you put bodies on the side of the road. Uh, and so like, I was thinking like, okay, how, how long do you have to do that? Like, is it a 24 hour turn? Like all bodies must be on the side of the road in body bags. And then like, what if you're not rich enough for a zippy made? Like, what if you like, what happens in neighborhoods where there isn't like a homeowners association that would force you to clean up the bodies, right? Like, um, so I'm, I'm guessing that we will get some sort of like season long arc of what post purge world looks like for those, for the haves and the haves not. Right. Um, yeah. And we're, we're already kind of seeing parts of it. A hundred percent. Um, because there's mention, right. Like we, we hear like an announcer kind of say like, you know, bodies need to be out by xyz time and like you know there's fear of contamination infection and whatever 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 which um you know you do have to suspend belief for the purge in general but like these are some of the real things that we've discussed before on the show which is like okay like how long do you have to clean it up like is like how many people die on purge night? What do you do with those bodies? Like, well, they said like, it was like a great year or something like that. Yeah. So we'll get to that. Yeah. It was, it was a very, it was a very good year. (laughs) Um, so before we get to that, um, we run into Ryan, the robber, uh, the bank robber. Mm -hmm. He's like, 
walking the streets and then we see people kind of pickpocketing bodies um and i guess i hadn't i hadn't thought that through but like it i guess that is a crime because yeah it's stealing um but you john know me very well like the one scene that nearly broke my heart was the the dog dog that was sitting i couldn't i i honestly watch some of these shows and i get i'm having very physically like an emotional reaction lately to like animal stuff it's because once you have like your own dog like it's like you're never okay again like you're never going to be able to get through a marley and me but like watching the little dog sit with his owner's body like waiting for him to get up um yeah i was i'm like fuck the dead people the dog man the dog i, I have no I heart and no soul i, I don't know i know no but the dog matters the most let's be real 100 percent. dog we don't deserve dogs um so i was yeah i was like 100 percent. my dogs would would defend me would they live to tell the tale no they couldn't defend me from squat but they would die trying um yep. so but again there's that overplay of like there's disease um that people are afraid of and we just get that shot of of Ryan walking the streets and kind of like what it looks like like afterward and like it's interesting because I think we're supposed to think like so it was legal yesterday for him to rob a major bank but like there's judgment on these poor people like kind of scrounging through people's bodies to find like 20 bucks right so the kind of discrepancy there of like morality um so going back to Marcus in his bougie house with his shitty stanton security system oh and we have names for these people now marcy marcus marcus we had names last week though the I was show just... is not doing good work at like making mm-hmm. uh, names and and storylines very because i was calling marcus hey man i'm just trying to sleep here on purge night well he Dude. was just trying to sleep here um but so marcus is obviously like reeling and let's be real john if like you survived a purge night but didn't figure out who tried to kill you. You have as long a list as I do. I wouldn't feel safe anywhere. Because I know the government is listening. I have no list and I love everyone. <laughs> well, I do. I know exactly all the people who would try to kill me. Because <laughs> while I am a lovely person, I am like a cutthroat bitch. And there are many bridge- bridges I've burnt. So I'm like, so like, I, I think this is the most compelling story that the show is pulling up this this season of the four arcs by far marcus is the most compelling which is what happens after someone tries to kill like how do you go about your daily life knowing that someone in in your life hates you enough to have put a hit on you right like and like how much do you trust everyone around you like who know i mean who knows who it could be right and like so marcus's wife michelle is like we should ask the neighbors um let's ask our nice friend neighbors who starred in get out right who put <laughs> who put uh blue flowers out on purge night like maybe no and marcus says no it's not safe asking the neighbors like um and then he suggests they might need to get protection for the next purge night um mm-hmm. and i was thinking like um i'm i'm my family's colombian i remember at the height of like the guerrilla warfare, narc wars in Medellin, um, we had a farm outside of Medellin that my whole family would go and stay at. And um, many times we were offered paramilitary protection, which my dad always turned down. He didn't want to pay 
paramilitary to protect us from gorilla because he was like this just would be, uh, make the cycle happen more and more but like i like i understand like where that comes from like the idea like that there would be people you could pay to keep you safe on purge night similar to the zippy maids totally makes sense like obviously the purge is its own economy there's all this purge economy and that would include bodyguards cleanup uh like you like you noted like private medical care uh is there purge insurance does your insurance cover the purge night right remember we did have uber on purge night well of course you would have uber it's just gonna be a massive like upcharge right yeah talk Um, about a surge talk about a surge well played um so marcus is obviously like thinking about how to keep him and michelle see um but when michelle's like but you wouldn't purge someone he stays real quiet. He's like, listen, lady. <laughs> Wouldn't I Listen, though? Linda. Listen, Linda. <laughs> Someone just tried to kill me while you were in bed, so... <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, so let's go back to Esme. Yeah, government lady. NFFA lady. Mm-hmm. So she can't stop watching the video of her friend, the professor, being purged. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think we here. So I think the show missed the mark here. I think we should have been introduced to the professor in some way, shape or form prior to her killing mm-hmm. because, uh, by the end of this episode, there are three storylines that are intersecting at professor and I'm still struggling to visualize the professor and like, I think that that's just like a storytelling thing. Like, if you ha- if you're gonna have me focus on this character all season, even if they're dead, I need mu- a much stronger visual, because um, it's just that blurry like CCTV screen. Yeah, and like if maybe like a flashback to like almost right before yes. Purge Night or something. Right, or flashback to like what Esme's relationship with the professor was and just something to to build a bit of a visual narrative for the viewers I think would be helpful um because like I said by the end of the episode this professor is clearly a central plot point and I'm like struggling to care Mm -hmm. so um yeah so Esme's boss tells her that there was a 30 percent increase in purging that we had we had a great day wonderful day everyone's dead (laughs) um i know uh 30 percent is actually like a ridiculous number if you had a 30 percent increase then like your society has lost its fucking mind so it's I, i guess it's a huge success for the nffa my guess is this is sprinkling of um this is like foreshadowing some of the information we get at the end of the episode of the research that our dear professor was doing. Um, But she's told that she needs to close up the cases from the night before. And then take us, take us to the hospital. So then basically we have the worst ER episode ever. And um, basically Marcus um, comes into the hospital because apparently he's a doctor explains the bougie house um and he's an er doctor and it is just total chaos because remind you of what marcy said earlier the rich can't erase it or like fix whatever happened on per night and the poor have to live with it so you see people whose 
loved ones were purged or maybe they were hurt and they're begging for medical care but it's so many people it's chaos it's absolute chaos whereas i think the i don't think the rich have to run i mean look we saw in the films right one that hospitals are safe zones um so you could potentially be a rich person who has to run into a hospital um but i my guess is over overall in this like skewed NFFA world. Um, this is not the hospital that like a woman like the one that opened this episode would go to. Mm-hmm. My guess is she has. I mean, a doctor could could easily be paid a quarter of a million dollars to just be on standby, or like an entire team at like like the party we saw in season one. Um, like you would just have a team of medical professionals available, right? 100%. They could make their entire year's worth of money on one night. Again, this purge economy. Yeah, there's no. like, it's it's quite disturbing when you looked at some of those people because like they were really struggling just to like get by and look at what happens and they can't even get medical care. There is, there may be uh, uh, gun um, control in the Purge universe, but universal health care, there is not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that That is true. Um, so when Marcus is um, is looking at folks trying to take take on his next patient because it's like chaos he finds a dude on a stretcher it's the dude who attacked him the night before he recognizes him because of like this weird burn on his skin yeah which looked creepy right i couldn't at first i was like is it like is that a purposeful thing or is it that his arm is burned um on second look it just looks like he has like really strong veins and it almost looks like a burn but um but marcus sees this dude and he and like you know Marcus is like yo I want that stretcher because I've got some questions, so. Um, yeah, he's like, girl, I gotta talk to this lady. Right, right. Um, okay, so let's go to our because we jumped ahead a little bit. Our favorite our, fat boy. Our frat boys, yes. So technically, there's I think we're following both of them. Cameron is the one who left his friend behind. Ben is the friend who was left behind. Yeah, he's doing the Cameron's doing the walk of shame because he sure. literally left his friend to die. Um, and they were separated. And you see him walking through the college campus, and clearly a lot of shits went down. Um, and he seems really, you know, weird. Um, but like his friend Ben, so he gets back to like whatever frat or sorority house they're at. And I think. Um, the character who was left behind, Ben, his girlfriend, is I like, think she's a girlfriend. Where is he? And then they're like, he didn't make it. But then all of a sudden, Ben walks in and he's covered in the same blood from the guy that he murdered, straight up like butcher style on um, Purge Night. And like everyone's like, uh oh. And then like Cameron's like, uh oh. Well, I mean, we talked about this. Like, you're never going to be friends again. Like, if you. Granted, I think I would, like, you and I, I love you, John, but in in a purge, if I thought you were about to be killed, I know that you'd want me to run. Yeah. Secretly, you'd want me to stay and fight for you, but you'd forgive me for running. I mean, I'd be dead, so I wouldn't have any option. Right. (laughs) But, um... Or if I didn't die. (laughs) Or if I didn't die. I I mean, honest to God, like, you're not, no matter what, like, you're never going to get over a friend walking away from you as you get purged. Mm-hmm. so so yeah i did like this interaction it was weird though um because the actor playing ben is so i we we talked about this last week 
I know this is the PTSD storyline, mm-hmm. right? I understand that everyone's PTSD looks different. A little confused why Ben's looks like an extra from The Walking Dead. Um, there's something about the way it's being played, physic- the physicality of the, like, it's not particularly working for me. And we can talk about this a little bit more, but, uh, but yeah, I did feel for Cameron though. Great performance, dude. Like I, like, I felt for you. I'd probably drop out of your frat and, and probably find a new place to live because my guess is Ben's going to kill you before the season's out. So. Um, I definitely think he's dead. I definitely think it happens before like episode five. Oh, agreed. I think, I, I actually think he's going to be like his, like, I'm going to use first kill, even though it's not his first kill. It'll be his first kill post purge. Yeah. Something's going to happen. I, I also think his girlfriend's are goner. <laughs> we both were like, and the girlfriend. Um, yeah, I think he's going to kill his girlfriend. I think I do foresee that happening. I agree. I think both Cameron and um, girlfriend are dead. Mm-hmm. Also, that bougie tile shower sequence, I was here for it. Where I was laughing because I was like, I'm sorry, where are these frat houses with like subway tile um, open well, like, showers? At Pomona, though, like I, I had that type true. of shower. So, so, John and I went to the Claremont, we went to CGU, which is part of the Claremont Colleges, which is like, a very bougie consortium of liberal arts schools, which totally makes us sound like total tools and, um, and like exactly what we are. Um, but yeah, our, our schools actually did look like that. So, uh, I can't make too much fun of it, but I was kind of like, this is like a Ryan Murphy style shower scene. Like it was like beautifully styled. Um, that's where all the money for this episode went was that one. Can I just have a, can I just go off on a tangent for one second? Yes. The politician had so much promise and it just squandered it all away. That is so funny um, because I completely disagree with you. <laughs> well, I'm usually right, but um, I hated it I, when I watched you it. You hated it. When I watched it and Brent loved it. Um, See, and I was I like, I hated I watched it and I liked it. But the thing is, is like Glee season one was great. Brian Murphy I, season one is always great. So anything it's great, Ryan but Murphy this did not do it for me. What's weird is it's the opposite for me. I was like, I don't like the show. And then the longer I sat with it, the more I started really liking it. I post post binging it. So so while I was watching it, I wasn't particularly impressed. And then it just kind of stayed with me. And then Brent was like, I think you actually really liked it. So and then so- I loved certain, see, that's the thing. Like I wanted to be so much more. I love so many characters on that show. And I think they all were so good. Like Theo Germain, all of these amazing actors were just so good. But like it took, it just took like Glee season one and then two, three, four, and five and made it all one season. And I'm like, wait, what's going on here? And like the season finale, I loved, and now I want to watch season two. So you didn't hate it. You had the same experience I had. <laughs> yeah, but I'm still upset because I wanted it to be so much. More. I wanted it to be something else, and it wasn't. And that that happens often with shows. And yet, it's it's sim- I will give you. It is such a beautifully styled show and beautifully cast show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the second one this year for me where visually and casting wise, it's stunning. Uh, the other one would be Four Weddings and a Funeral just doesn't hit the mark and yet it is so visually pleasing i keep rewatching it so that is not the purge i don't keep rewatching the purge because it is not visually stunning no which is why and this back to the purge which is why this showers scene stood out so much because it was like wait is did ryan murphy shoot one scene for the purge it's it was weird um so let's go back to ryan our robber 
Sexy daddy robber. Sexy dad. Do you find? I'm just not into dad bod. Um, I don't. I'm into Ryan. You're into Ryan. Um, I'm into anyone who drops off cash on my desk. So mm-hmm. <laughs> Ryan the robber drops off some cash at a desk, which we find out is the front desk of the nursing home that is housing his mom. Who has Alzheimer's. Who has Alzheimer's. It's like a tiny bit of like the notebook situation. And um, he's like talking to her. He's like, Tommy fucked up, man. He went 30 seconds over. Um, and his mom like get, like pats his face and she's like, I'm sure you did the best you can. And I think we're supposed to, from this scene, get a sense that like Ryan is a decent human being. Mm-hmm. Um, and then his mom's like, what's your name again? And it's like, oh heartbreaking super sad um also again touching on an inequality in um in this world like if any like taking care of a sick loved one does require robbing banks Mm -hmm. like my um my aunt's husband got alzheimer's at 40 something he was really young and his his home like his care was like honest to god like three mortgages it was just something outrageous. So it totally makes sense that you would have to steal from banks. Yeah. So, but this is, this is the scene that's supposed to be like Ryan's a nice robber and we should look for him as kind of like a moral center throughout this entire season. Is my, I'm guessing that's what this is, this is doing. So then we go back to Esme. Yeah, who keeps They're, watching. Right, like footage. I'm like... We're, I have our, our outline in front of us and I'm like, she's rewatching the CCTV footage and is really upset. And I, I like, I think here's, here's the thing, John, I would be very upset if you were purged, but like it's purge night. Why is she surprised that a woman got purged? Everyone mm-hmm. is susceptible to being purged. Like you accidentally opened your door or someone broke in or like, like, it's just, it's a little weird that like this woman who watches people get purged for a living is like, this one case doesn't make sense. Why would it happen? Like, what do you mean? Why would it, like, that's the whole point of the purge. It's nonsensical. Everyone gets to die. Yeah. So, it, yeah, I'm like, kind of like, mm, okay. Um, so. Yeah, I don't understand where that storyline is Yeah, going. no, it, it's just kind of, it's just, the fact that they keep asking me to be upset that this woman died on purge night, it's purge night. Mm-hmm. I and don't then they know. Bring it back to all oh these my other God. people. I'm, I'm like, what's her face from Hustlers? I don't know this woman. <laughs> like, I don't know this woman. I don't know. Like, oh yeah, sorry to this man. Sorry to this man. <laughs> like, uh, I don't understand why it would be a bigger deal that this woman died than anyone else, um, even if she's a great professor. So her students clearly think she's a great professor, uh, Professor Adams. Um, because they're discussing it on their like open green and uh ben uh who is our our broken frat boy like his girlfriend and uh a student who we then later in this episode find out is marcus's son um are talking about how professor adams was killed and how like you know how worrisome it is and then like uh marcus's son walks away and ben and Ben and his girlfriend are sitting there and the girlfriend's like trying to tell him like, are you okay? Like you're acting a little weird. Like like acting a little like sociopathic. Like what's going on? So like, you're not the same person you were before and you came home drenched in blood, but I'm just going to act like this is totally normal. Um, Like, I'm sorry, but um, there isn't a single woman in this entire world who, if her boyfriend, husband, brother or whatever came home drenched in blood, be like, well, I'm sure he's okay. Like, 
Like, I'm sure he's totes fine. We have, like, an instinct. Like, we are instinctually afraid of men not drenched in blood. So uh, the fact that she's like, okay, like, it'll be fine. Ben's Ben's fine. Is kind of, like, I'm like, this girl would be like, yo, my boyfriend is fucked up. Like, that is how a normal woman would be reacting to this. So I'm kind of like, again, th- come on. What are you doing, guys? Uh, interesting, though, that it pans, like, girlfriend walks away because Ben's fine. Um, to him drawing the original god mask which um terrifying this kid i know i know um so let's go take me back to the hospital so basically we go back to the worst episode of er ever and um we go to marcus's hitman um and he recognizes him because he wakes up as he's dying and he's and marcus kind of goes a little crazy saying like you know he wants to know why this guy wanted to kill him um and so like I'm a little confused at this next point because, and I'm glad you pointed this out, is like clearly he doesn't have enough blood, but then they start using Narcan to like really revive him. And I'm like, and Narcan's for overdoses. And it's I like- I was really annoyed by this. Like, and I what think, is I think it's one because I, I am married to a nurse, which means I don't get to watch any medical show without like Brent just yapping away of like- that's not how we do this shit. That's not how we do this shit. You don't cut the Elvet wire to save the husband that you want and get him a new heart like don't they did in season two. Don't use a pencil to put it into someone's trachea so they can breathe. Um, so I shouldn't have done that over my lunch hour? No. But Narcan, uh, for folks who don't know, Narcan is a life-saving injection that um, stops your nerve receptors from taking on uh, opioids. So for anyone who's had like any type of n- narcotic dependency... Um, Narcan is the difference between life or death for a an overdose of opioids, right? Yeah, which happens so much lately, and they um, and a lot of people don't realize that opioids or other drugs are le- laced with fentanyl, and you need Narcan to like not die. So I had um, and John John knows this. I had an accidental overdose on fentanyl that was medically prescribed for my medical issues when I lived in West Hollywood, like five years ago, and. The difference between me living and dying was how quickly the um, ambulance got a Narcan shot in me. Uh, they said it was the difference between two minutes. Like, if Brent had found me two minutes later, like, I, I would not be here. Um, so, like, the, it bugged me because I'm going to tell you a re- two reasons. One, it's, it's medically bananas. Like, this man has been attacked on purge night. Um, I... This is not purposeful, but I did not like the the implication that a that a man of color had OD'd like while purging people, and like that's why they use and there is no off brand use of Narcan to wake someone up. So like it, for anyone who's like, well, the Narcan acts like adrenaline. No, it doesn't. It was just dumb. It's dumb. It's stupid. And a lot of people know what Narcan is. So like it took me out of the scene. I'm like, he's not overdosing. Like he's cut up into pieces, yo. Like. Yeah. It, it was like someone clearly like shot his ass yeah and and i thought there were some racial undertones there that i i don't particularly appreciate so mm-hmm. um i didn't i didn't love it um but it does lead to him getting that fake adrenaline dose um, which i think that's what they were going for i think they were going for that that like classic er shot where they give them like a an adrenaline shot of some sort and they wake up and he gets like to gasp out four words um so his words are ivory road at first i was like ivory i-v-e-r-y ivy road um but it's like ivory like elephants ivory road um so that's that's marcus's clue that's what he's got um yeah 
back to the robbers. Um, sexy daddy. Sexy daddy. Uh, this scene, the next scene lets us know that the banks are, they're not holding as much cash as they used to. Which, which we talked about. Which, again, why would they? Yeah, because they know they could be purged. Yeah. Before purge night. Like, I'm sorry, like, it's not, it's not illegal to protect your assets on purge night. Um, and so if the storyline this season is figuring out where the money is going that the banks have, like, it's not illegal to protect your assets. Of course, banks are going to empty out vaults. And honestly, by now, like, like we're like 10 years away from there being no actual physical cash anymore. So it, it's just kind of a weird thing. But they say they only made $200,000 and there's like five of them. So it's yeah. not enough money. Um, and then Tommy, our little 30 seconds too late fucker from episode one shows up. And Ryan, because he's kind hearted, lets him in. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we then all he gets know, taken away. Right. And then he gets taken away. Um, and he takes the cash, which, which I thought was weird, but he says they want me in the cash. And so what the emphasis is there is that that cash was seized illegally and the banks are overstepping to get their cash back. Um, so he didn't want to leave the cash with the folks who weren't implicated because the cash itself is tainted by illegality. And mm-hmm. I'm like, that's really, that's really dumb. I don't understand. I don't. I mean, I understand, but I, I don't understand. Yeah, I. Um, you can tell that even like the financial institutions are there to keep the rich in power. Right, and I mean that makes sense. Like I, yeah. I yeah. That's um, why they clean up. And the then our outline says to talk about Esme again, but guys, guess what she's doing? She's watching the CCTV footage again. Yeah, bye. Esme. I sound really sarcastic and sour on this episode, and I'm sorry, but bye Esme. Bye. Yeah, I'm like okay. Um, make me care about this so I'd rather talk about Tommy and like Mm -hmm. when he gets taken Um, Tommy is one human like my boss says one person in this world he has a person in this world and we apparently pay enough taxes that he is monitored to the point where they literally within you know six hours catch him take him away yeah so I I want you to think of this in the multitude of the world of the purge this is the most nonsensical part of the, and it has been of the whole thing. There is no way that you monitor every single human being like this Um, unless they're chipped and like, and even if they're chipped, the force of the force of humans and or technology that it would take to monitor. And it's just, I'm like, okay, over 200,000. I know $200,000 sounds like a lot of money, but it's not in the larger scheme of things. No. Um, you probably you probably spent that trying to find Tommy. So on ta- Yeah, exactly. Right? So, yeah. The one interesting thing here is that when one of the women asks, what will, the, what will they do with Tommy? Because they shove him into a cop car. Um, Hot Daddy tells them, well, they'll wait until the next purge night and kill him. Yeah. That lets us know that the NFFA on purge night just kills all prisoners. Well, anyone. I mean, why wouldn't they? Right. So like every single jail, every single ICE detention center, every, like just every purge night you get rid of everything and it's not illegal. And so that's population control. That is spending control. I mean, it's it's like, it's like genocide. It It is genocide. 
I would I would say it's not it's genocide if we think of it it it, it isn't genocide because it's not like racially targeted or specifically targeted, but I would say that if we're looking at it from the perspective of the, the vast majority of folks who are going to end up in these jails are folks who are disenfranchised, then I would say it's, it's a, an effective purging of the poor, which is what um, Purge Anarchy really hits on, which is obviously, I've talked about this before, my favorite film. So it um, really is people. Yeah, you would just get rid of a t- shit ton of poor people every purge night by killing everyone who is in. And then obviously you would over police. You would make prisons a private uh, like economy, right? And then empty them out and fill them back, right back up. So it makes sense to me. It's horrifying, but it makes sense. Um, then back to Ben. Ben, similar to Esme, this whole episode is just re- like having flashbacks to the night before purge night he's obviously got some issues he's not doing well no he's <laughs> he not doing some well self-care um and i know we're gonna get there but i'm even more disturbed by that video game that that was um not surprising uh because i've seen it at halloween horror nights um so but yes um so ben obviously goes to a mall and like gets into like a stall to play like a first person shooter game, but it's the purge. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, and so the show is telling us that like Ben having purged one night, not by choice technically, even though he did go out on purge night. So specifically looking to be out on purge night, um, that that one purging incident has changed him fundamentally at the core. Now yeah. he's like, he's like, I don't know, murders on the, I don't know. Yeah, I, it's kind of terrifying because it's kind of like that nature versus nurture aspect. It's like, well, wait, right. was this always there or not? And I would I would be very happy with them doing flashbacks to him not being okay as a kid and this being a trigger versus the idea that a person could overnight become a, a fucking murderer. Like, I, I don't believe that. I think if I needed to protect myself in the purge and kill someone, I 100% can't, but I would. And I'm not a different person the next day. I mean, I am. I, I will have PTSD for the rest of my life. And I, I may not sleep for a long time. And, like, I might have all these triggers. But I don't become a murderer by murdering. Yeah. I hope that makes sense. Um, yeah. So back to Marcus. Marcus at the hospital, obviously, to a certain extent, lets the, his staff know that someone tried to purge him. I don't know if you caught this. The nurse that comes out, that was really fucking sexist. She might have been a doctor. The doctor nurse that comes out. Um, goes, Jeez, Marcy. I know. I, 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 caught, I caught myself. I'm married to a male nurse. Um, I'm married to a white male nurse. It's, I keep doing that. Like, it's super annoying. Um, but she And you said, have a sexy brother, too. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, sorry, JP. Uh, <laughs> not sorry, I guess, for John. Um, the nurse doctor, Dr. Nurse, says, hey, Marcus, like, I totally heard someone tried to purge you. Um, and I'm, did that guy say anything? And I'm like, dude, is she checking to see if like, is she the one who did it? Cause like, it almost sounded like, Hey, did he say anything to you? Like, what did he say? This is maybe like a promotional thing again. <laughs> like, you know, it's like where they, she just wants to get the promotion, but like Marcus is standing in her way. Right. It could just be another Allison from season one. Uh, like, re- Hi Jessica, if you're listening. Yeah, I know. Hey Jessica. 
And you're killing it on The Resident Girl. Keep it going. The Resident is my favorite uh, medical show. So, um, because what it does is criticize the medical system. But um, but I did catch that. So I think we're supposed to look at this doctor nurse. And also, like, didn't he like totally violate his Hippocratic oath? He says he didn't. So he's telling the the doctor nurse. Let's just say doctor. Um, he's telling this this doctor. I I tried to help him. Like he's saying like he he did not violate the the oath to do no harm. Um, which I think watching the show, I don't think he violated it. Is it unethical to pick someone because you need some words? Sure. Um, sure unethical yes uh violation like did he try to kill him no so yeah um then we go to professor adams memorial uh Mm -hmm. where we find out that professor drew adams was loved fiercely by everyone she was strong She, she helped strangers uh she was like a really good person she was against the purge uh, we get this from Marcus's son, right? That like her work oh, yeah. was important. Everyone, Marcus has a son. Right. We'll we'll, we'll get to that. But like that she would that you know she would have stood she would have stood up against the system even to the to her end of days pretty much. And Esme's there listening, and I think um, there's like Esme is inspired by this speech that Doctor Drew Adams would never have given up to not give up on trying to figure out why Dr. D- Drew Adams d- died. I don't it sounds dumb when I say it. Because uh, it, it was a lot of drag out uh, in this episode that just gets worse. Um, so then we go uh, back to Esme's apartment and she turns off her cell phone, which at first I was like, wait, who does that when they get home? But it's so that no one will listen. She's trying to create boundaries for herself, Marcy. I did think that for a second. I was like, maybe she's one of those people who has actual tech, tech boundaries, but um, I don't think they exist, actually. They're unicorns. No. Um, but then she listens to this recording she stole from work of from the professor's phone, and she hears all these weird creaky noises and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know. Uh, so then Marcus goes to the university, and it turns out that the young man, like we said, who held the memorial for Professor Adams is his son. Mm-hmm. Um, so Marcus has a son. Yeah, who's way too old to be his actual son. Who's way too old to be his actual son. Does Michelle, his wife, know? Because weren't they talking about having kids? Yeah. And he was like, kids, kids, like, messes shit up. And I'm like, mm, okay, okay. I know. Uh, and then um, we, we can... Uh, we can close out this Marcus one. So, um, so Marcus like tells his son, um, whose name is Darren played by Denzel Whitaker. Um, what happened? Like he says, like someone like took a hit on me. Like then the dude at the hospital, like all he said was ivory road. Does that mean anything to you? And, um, his son is like, um, my thesis director was just killed and I'm like really upset but I can help you. And so right there, uh, we're supposed to pick up that Marcus's son, Darren, it is Darren, right? Yeah. Darren was working directly underneath Dr. Adams, which makes me think if Dr. Adams was in danger, so, so is Darren agreed. We're supposed to, and his father, maybe, and his father, maybe. Um, though I don't think they're actually connected. Uh, so, uh, Darren says Ivory Road is the dark web, um, and he was like, 
the dark and like Marcus acts like he he's like not doesn't know it's like an old timer with technology he's like I was like Wait, what's this calculator supposed to do millennial when his, like his son is like his six his like 40 year old son is like yeah you just need a tour browser and then like you can you can hit it and like Marcus is like what yeah whippersnappers um so the calculator get app, off my lawn get off my lawn the calculator app that is on the phone that Marcus was able to grab from his attackers is actually a, a cover app for this ivory road, um, which is, I think is supposed to mimic uh, the dark webs um, Silk Road, which is uh, famous for pretty much anything you want you can find on the Silk Road on the dark web. So, um, And so they open and it immediately opens up to a page that shows a $75,000 hit on Marcus's head. And the problem is it's still active. So yep. someone has put $75,000 into an account on the dark web. Um, and until Marcus is dead, it's up for grabs, which dun, 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 means Marcus's life is in, in significant danger from here on out because that you, didn't close out on You in danger, girl. You in danger. Um, so then Esme goes to the professor's house. Yep. Um, she gets all scared because there's some cats and some dogs and she plays the recording on her phone that she had turned off because she didn't want anyone to listen to it, plays the recording on her phone and figures out that the weird creaky noises are the weird, she uses all the noises to like figure out the route that Professor Drew took before she got murdered. And it leads her to a manila folder that is, um, full of like uh, evidence <laughs> evidence facts uh, right <laughs> and she runs outside because she needs to get out of there real quick with the evidence that she found and the most weird like like the 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 syncing up of the movement with the creaking of the stairs to find this manila envelope was again they you're asking me to suspend some serious ass belief she's not even a fucking detective it's just, i know okay, sure like, hey, um, do you want to buy this house that was my favorite part of the whole thing um <laughs> was them coming down and it being like house hunters purged out so yeah. i guess i hadn't this thought- house is like super historic it's in a great neighborhood do you want to put in a first bid right so there's all these so she's trying to get out with this precious manila envelope and there's real estate folks like circling this house which again purge economy a bunch of houses become empty the day after purge i don't know what the laws would be around that like who does it belong to does it belong to the bank does it belong to anyone but but i did like the the kind of like nod the to government. the government yeah i mean it's a nod to the fact that like there's a lot of transact there's a lot of gain by killing a bunch of people off in one night uh, so, uh, then Esme goes home and pulls out from this like magical manila envelope, uh, some brain scans and some, some tapes and she presses play on the tape and we find out that Dr. Drew was studying how the purge was changing brains and turning people violent. And, uh, dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. no one saw that coming, uh, and Clearly, that's why the NFFA wanted her dead, um, which connects to Darren, because if Darren was her research assistant, Darren, Marcus's son, is in danger. Whether or not that is connected to Marcus being in danger is yet to be seen. I don't think it is, but... Um, but then they're this- all on this college campus, so we're starting to see how there's one synchronous, like, synchronous, like, 
story minus hot daddy like that's all fit yeah synchronicity that's kind of coming together right and this all comes full circle with ben being the living example of dr drew andrew's work yes so like we said he's playing purge video games um the question i think we're supposed to ask ourselves is kind of like what you said nature versus nurture like did he break purge night was he broken before like are people changing genetically in real time um like what what does violence do to the human body like i mean we're i'm i feel like we're being very kind right we're now all broken by like saying that they are really fleshing all this out because i think that i'm gonna give the show a shot to prove me wrong but like i think we're being very generous right now but um but but Ben is obviously the embodiment of the work that Dr. Drew died Drew Dr. Andrews Drew Andrews died for that Darren worked on that Esme will now give her life to figure out why the NFFA would want to turn it off right so maybe you're right that Marcus has to tie into it if all of the other ones do too as well um, so the final shot is do you think it's his wife that put the dollar hit on him. I thought about it, but that's, I'm going to, I feel, I feel okay making that prediction. I thought about it because I was like, you know, they have $75,000 to to spend clearly. Yeah. Clearly not on their security system. (laughs) She probably put the hit because she didn't know he had a son. I don't know. Um, If we don't see her a lot, then we know that's probably the case. Right. I agree. And I think the the doctor nurse is, is just supposed to be kind of like a red herring. Um, but the final scene of this episode, um, I would like to say is a moment of vindication for me because last week I had to admit I was wrong. And this week I would like to say I was not wrong. Um, Ben decides to go back to the scene of the crime where he purged. And what does he do, John? Goes back for the God mask which means we are getting a backstory on our God mask, which is what I thought we were going to get because it's too iconic for that to have just been killed off. For Purge fans, that mask is kind of the face of, yeah, it's the face of anarchy. It's, it's, um, it's a big deal. So I was right. I retract my, uh, my not right status because that just doesn't happen. So, um, and that's the end of the episode. And I think um, while I struggle with this episode, because I thought some of the writing was really strange, um, uh, I do like that you're, we're pulling all these threads now towards a central plot. Yep. So. Um, it's you- overall exciting. I'm really looking forward to like learning a little bit more about... Um, these central characters the god mask thing theologically it's really interesting to understand because like if god is just a killer in this universe that sanctions this type of kill like i don't know we have to really look theologically at what's being pointed out here because there is no religion or religion is used to brainwash people i was gonna say one of the things about the purge that i think is is interesting is um in the films, we had quite a bit of church imagery that was um, kind of mixed in with the Purge and FFA. And at the time when this came, when those films came out, we didn't have an actual NFFA happening. So it's very strange to be living in a post-Trump world where church and um, 
state-sanctioned murder and white supremacy have have merged. And so it's weird that in, in real time, what was a dystopian nightmare of a horror film that I loved has become my actual day-to-day reality. And for anyone who's like, that's an exaggeration, we don't live in the purge, go fuck yourself. Um, everything from concentration camps to mass incarceration, um, I mean, and, and the overarching weight of white supremacy having taken hold of our democracy uh, is really strange. And the fact that religion has bolstered it, um, for those of us who, who study religion, and what, like you said, like the symbol, the symbolic nature of the God mask, right? Like, um, every, what is it? The, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, every kind of disastrous moment in human history has been bolstered by religious religiosity and, and zealots. Um, right. And so I think it's, it, it is not um, it is not far-fetched to say that we are supposed to kind of ask ourselves if the purge creators are criticizing the idea of any f- God figurehead in a world that would allow such horrific things to happen. And this is like kind of when we get down into a lot of when, um, you know, many of us that study religion or have been engaged in like Holocaust studies, for example, and the role of where was God during the Holocaust. I mean, it breaks down into long those narratives of where is God during this horrible time. To Professor Martin Kafka at Florida State, who uh, I took like most of his Holocaust studies classes, including ho- like Holocaust film, which included Holocaust comedy, which was really difficult to get through. Um, but then also, uh, I took in grad school the problem of evil in a, which was a religious philosophy course, um, and it discussed all these different models that humans have for God. But the most the most popular model of God is a puppeteer God that is isn't is not involved in humanity so um most of the time you've got this god that humans at a good moment think can move chess pieces right which is why people are like god please let me win the lotto um but then when something horrific happens this puppeteer is the there's this disconnect that that he wasn't holding the strings at that moment Mm-hmm. right and so it's it's a massive disconnect that is the god of american evangelicalism um i would say it's the god of pretty much most forms of modern christianity catholicism included um god's a great guy until something bad happens and or then girl. oh no, no no in the in modern world there is no girl god um so uh, theologically uh, the catholic church says that god has no gender but god is a man uh according to, to today's world. So um, yeah, like I, it, I would love, I think maybe that's why I love the cult so much last season. I would love to know what is said at pulpits the week before a purge or the week after. And like, are you allowed to, I, growing up Catholic, like, are you allowed to receive communion if you purged? Like, well, also it's like, is it kind of like with, you know, you look at state sanctioned violence places, like do they, remove all religions that don't adhere or uplift you know their my guess is yes my guess 
My guess is that in the short time it's taken to build up the NFFA, any dissenting voices, we saw this in The Handmaid's Tale, right? The first episode of season one of The Handmaid's Tale, Offred walks by a bombed Catholic church with some priests hanging from the wall and mentions that like, um, they were some of the first ones taken out because they stood up to the sons of Jacob, mm-hmm. right? So my guess is anyone who said, fuck no, NFFA no longer exists in the NFFA world. Um, so great episode, a lot to, uh, not great episode, great themes that we can pull from. Uh, I'm hoping the episodes get a little stronger um, because I think the ideas are great. Um, it's just you, the storylines need to be pulled a bit tighter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're doing a disservice to um what's his name now i can't come up with it uh derek luke they're doing a disservice to derek luke i mean he's he's acting circles around everyone on the show so um all right we'll so that's the end of the episode that's it that's all that's she wrote it? that's all she, well for now for now so, is it a 10 episode season or eight episode season again i can't i can't remember actually We'll take as much purge as they give us. Yeah, I never get tired of the purge world. Um, we so. know, Marcy. We I know. don't. I don't. All right, y'all. We'll see. We will see you. <laughs> uh, we will. You will hear from us <laughs> next week. Or maybe um, you'll see us. Maybe you'll see me. Um, come, come protest the G7 if they bring it back to Doral. Um, happy purging, everyone. Have a happy great Happy purging. Week.